Hey folks, Mason here coming in before the show letting you know this week we are highlighting the Sex Workers Outreach Project as our community resource. You can find out more information about them in the show notes in the description or by going to swopusa.org. That is swopusa.org. All right, let's get on with the show. That's kind okay, of it is going to, say, to get but... to be almost 9.20 and we've not started the actual record. We <laughs> yeah, did have a lot well, of catching up to do. I, I did not put any of this in the episode. This no, it's absolutely not going in. No. <laughs> um, so... Are you doing the blank check? You're doing the Ben Hosley on me right now, aren't you? Where you're saying it's not going to go in and it's all in. <laughs> we shall see. I do. I am the keeper of the files here. So whatever I say, whatever I want to go in the podcast goes. Yeah, true that. that. You got to live with that. No, yeah, has sometimes, no. Sometimes Mason is sneaky as fuck. When we record it in his apartment and then we'll fucking start the show because obviously we got shit to do. But when yeah. we record <laughs> in his apartment for those beautiful, magical 15 episodes that we did when Mason still lived in L.A., he would start recording and he wouldn't tell me. We would just be talking and we would just start recording. And I would always know that he, we would start recording because he would get quiet and he would just let me talk, which as you know, doesn't happen on this show of Mason letting me talk. So that's how I knew we were recording. And I'm like, you little fucking son of a bitch, you little sneak ass. So I love it. All righty. Should we get started here, Let's ladies start. and gentlemen and folks? Yes. Okay, it's got a little bit of a long intro here because i'm singing along to the song yeah because it's a tricky ass a tricky ass one so here we go this is the most broken song parody we'll have ever done on the show here we go Uh, oh boy oh boy he's got the drums going stewie out of the bearded barley family yes guy beside (laughs) the green green grass freaking (laughs) Sweet the neighbor quag, funny Cleveland and next door neighbor Joe. Oh, Stewie on Spooner Street in Quahog. Stewie with all your evil schemes, laser beams, vile woman, what the deuce, and I just crap my pants. Brian, where's my money? <laughs> He's Stewie. Ho oh, ho! That's it. <laughs> Great. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I'm so sorry. Did we did right, this so, did or is this that's the last one, right? Like that's the last song parody we're ever gonna have to do. Like that's the That's when you guys retire the bit. Yeah, I think it's time we hang this bit up from the rafters. I don't see how it's gonna just get uh, in terms of sh- in terms of audacity and uh length, I really feel like this is getting uh, kind of well, worrying, and I know that I had did, a couple long. No, yeah, last week when you did uh, uh, Brass in Pocket, you know, which was there a Family Guy references in that one? I couldn't tell. I threw one Peter Griffin in okay. there. I threw one Peter Griffin into that Brass and Pocket pair. Because I was going to say, I couldn't really hear some Family Guy stuff. It was mostly like a, you know, podcast, you know, slipping podcast wherever you could. But I was like, damn, Mason really went all out on that one. But uh, I think I got you, <laughs> stud. Yeah. Can you guys uh, 
Can you can you explain the stew parody bit to me? Because I've heard I've heard episode. See now I've never yeah. heard an episode where you explain what the song what it is, and now, I didn't I missed where it, it was invented. This is where this is another um, having to explain the bit means that it's time to hang <laughs> up. If you ask okay, me. okay, so don't do then just no 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 no. I think I think this is do we want because how do you describe? So here's what I think parody. happened uh, one time. Uh, I started singing Paradise City by Guns N' Roses, okay. but it was not a Stewie Griffin. It wasn't a Family Guy thing. I literally just said, take me down to the Paradise City where the uh, girls are clean and the content's shitty. And I just did that like one, like twice Very in a row. Good. And I was like, oh, that would be kind of fun. I think maybe to do like song parodies. So I don't remember how long we've actually been doing the parodies for, but uh, they've just been getting crazier and crazier. Yeah, in my memory, the... The very first song parody was when we had Brian Carpus on and you did the one for the row. Some say oh, love it as a podcast. Yes, I think you're right, actually. That's what I consider the genesis. So since and the Brian Carpus recording was like I think the Sunday after Shelter in Place went into effect, so like yes. middle of March. Yes. Uh so we've been doing this bit for a four months. <laughs> At this point, I don't know how else to start the show now. How are we going to start the show from now on? I'm scared by that. (laughs) Just cut in the middle of this. You cut in the middle of this and it's fine. Let's start All right. You know what? Hey, can I do the cut? Let me do it one more time. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Welcome back to It's On The List, a a podcast parody theme song podcast. Uh, No, this is a podcast where we talk about underrated movies, media, and more. The more... Is the energy that me and Mason are bringing. Mason, my co-host, I'm Noah Marger. Mason, how are you, buddy? A little chaotic. A lot of stuff, a lot of exciting stuff is happening in my life, not necessarily related to work, but uh, I'm feeling overall pretty good. And then I look around and realize the year that I'm living in and what else is going on in that front. And it's just a little, little hard to get your mind around sometimes, but I'm with, I'm with Noe. I'm doing one of my favorite things during the week, which is record a podcast. Yes, and uh, this week, we've got returning guest, returning, recurring friend. Filmmaker extraordinaire. <laughs> Filmmaker extraordinaire. <laughs> Sonny Dion Jr. back on the freaking pod. Let's give it a clap. Hi, Sonny. Hello, everybody. I'm I'm so happy to be back. Thank you guys for yeah, having man, me back. Yeah, man, absolutely. We, yeah. I mean, I have been saying to Mason we need to get Sonny back for a while now. We had kind of a crazy last couple months with like just trying to figure out actually when we were going to record and we had you know, it took a couple weeks off, you know, maybe almost the entire month of June just because uh, people didn't really need to hear us talk about underrated movies and media uh, during that time. There were more important. What? During June? What are you talking about? <laughs> what was going on that we couldn't yeah. do that? So there's, there's that. So we've been trying to get you back for a while and ultimately we're like, oh, we got an open week. Let's get Sunny back. So now you're here. So thanks for being back. I love it. I love your guys' show. I'm in the middle of the Three Ninjas episode right now, and I can't wait to drive again so I can listen to it. <laughs> Have you been doing drives? <laughs> or, the, or the kids with the kids' movies episode. That's Have you is. been doing like little drives throughout quarantine, or is that just? Are you only hopping in the car when you need to? Because I've been doing drives during quarantine, and it's actually helping my sanity. Um. I, I have done a, a one or two drives, and it definitely helps with the mental yes. health, and even just a walk, a walk. Yes. Love a walk. Love a good walk. 
where I've been going on a lot of walks. I've been going on, I took a, I feel okay saying this on the pod. I took an hour long walk for a to a date. Whoa! On Sunday, but that's all I want. Whoa! To say. Hot yeah. date corner. Here we go. Hot date corner. Heat check. Hot date <laughs> corner. Uh, but uh, yeah, been doing a lot of walking. You as walked well. to I, the date. It's... Wait, I just run that back. You walked all the yeah, way dude. to the date. Wow! How did did you? Tell oh yeah, that? and then we were gonna walk uh from there to uh the lake. It was very nice. That's awesome, dude. Hell yeah. So, uh, walking's good. Do some more. Do some yeah, you can even, if you walk far <laughs> enough, you'll end up at a date. So that's the, yeah. that's the moral of the story there. Uh, that's what I keep trying. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so you've been going on, uh, that's been, walking's been clearing your sanity. What else has been helping you with your sanity during during the old core times? Oh my God! If, if you if if you have any tips, share them because I I don't quite know. I mean I don't know. Watching movies as much as you can, trying to stay busy and yeah, stuff exactly. like that. Have you watched anything yeah. that's been like a holy shit little moment during this? I you know I wish I could say yes, but not really. I, the last movie I could remember that I watched that like really got me back into movies, which this is a silly one. But have you guys seen the documentary California Typewriter? No. No. Oh, it's really good. It's on the Criterion channel. Um, it's just about typewriters and a typewriter repairman. Wow. And it, it's fucking awesome. It's great. And that that kind of kind of put a pep in my step. I want to keep watching stuff after that. But it's been a great exp- it's been a great time to rewatch stuff. Sure. There you go. Yeah, for real. I rewatched Batman Returns, the second Michael Keaton Batman. Wow. And you know what? Oh, that movie yeah. fucking rips. That movie's good oh, as great. hell. <laughs> Did uh did did um what's his name do that one too? That was the another Tim Burton fellow? one. Yeah. Oh, it's Tim Burton. Okay. okay. Who did you think yeah. it was? No, not Joel Schumacher. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to remember if that was. R.I.P. Yeah. Joel Schumacher. Lost him in this year. No shit. Which yeah. Doesn't even feel like we lo- we lost him this year because of how this year has been. But he did pass away in the year of our Lord 2020. So R.I.P. Mr. Schumacher. That's right. R.I.P. Pour one out for him right. right here. Pour one out for him. Pour one out for Herman. Don't pour one out for I'm Herman Cain, folks. I'm not pouring one out for Herman Cain. Are you kidding me? Gulp one down and then uh, spit yeah, it in the face of your enemy for, for Herman Cain. Herman Cain died of coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> spit in the tr- face of your enemy for Herman Cain. Does he Kane. actually die of coronavirus? Uh, he went to a yeah, Trump rally was... without a mask okay. and then died uh, a, a few weeks later, we'll okay. say. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> awesome. Love to hear it. <laughs> Scary. Uh, but yeah, so studies on the pod, back on the pod. Like we were saying, been wanting to get him back for a little while. Uh, Sonny chose the movie this week. It is a movie guest choice. And we can't wait to get into it because this is a movie I deeply associate with, with Sonny Dion Jr. <laughs> this is like... Um, <laughs> But uh, I think it'll be a spirited discussion based off of our conversation last time over the, the film Inherent Vice. I'm very curious to hear what's going to come up when we get into Ocean's 12. But first... But Mason... But Noe... <laughs> I'm excited more yeah. than the movie to talk about the album because I got to pick the album this week. Yay! Segway king to me. He's segway king to me. I'm actually... <laughs> insanely excited to talk about this album because this has been my quarantine album, my pandemic album, to be honest with you. Really? 
Really? Oh, yeah. That's for I, <laughs> I that can make sense to me, and I, I think we'll talk about that later. That I understand. I think what you're getting at a little bit with that. Okay, I'd be interested. I'm, I'm going to be interested to find out what you think that I mean when I say that. Because what I say when I mean that all is that I discovered this during quarantine, and I can't stop listening to it during. Well, I'm calling it quarantine. Okay. I'm really talking about this fucking pandemic because I don't think a lot of people are real quarantine yeah. hounds anymore. But. Uh, no, <laughs> this is a uh, this is a guest uh, movie. This is a Noah album. The album this week is 2019's Miami Memory by Mr. Alex Cameron. Claps, 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 claps in the chat. Wearing my shirt from when I saw him. I went oh, to see him in concert. You saw him? I believe it was in 2018. It was pre Miami Memory. It was so before... that was he hadn't, so you hadn't done Miami Memory yet. So you were listening to a lot of Forced Witness then, probably, huh? Big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, but this, so this came into your life during quarantine. What was the circumstances around around your discovery here? So, so I'm curious. I don't want to say this because you know how much I hate giving you credit, <laughs> Mason, on this pod. But I think the first time I ever heard the name Alex Cameron was out of your mouth. And I don't know what the circumstances were surrounding it. I think it was during a season one episode when we were actually in your apartment. Still, you like said the name Alex Mm -hmm. Cameron, maybe on mic, maybe off mic. I'm not sure. But the name I remember because when I saw the album come up on one of those, like, genius recommendations on Spotify, I was like, Oh shit. I think this is who I heard Mason say once. And I don't remember. I think the song I heard was far from born again. Uh, uh, was the song mm-hmm. that came up on the playlist or the radio. And I was like, oh, this is fun. This is funky. Like, this has got, like, a nice little beat. This has got some interesting lyrics because he literally says the word porn in the song, which yeah. is something that really caught my attention. I'm like, oh, you don't really hear someone just straight up say the word porn in a song. So I started listening to more of his music. Started listening to the entire album. I listened to the entirety of Miami Memory. I listened to the entirety of Forced Witness. I listened to half of Jump the Shark and stopped listening to it because I don't like it very much, which is his first album. Uh, So this has just kind of been a new obsession of mine, to be totally honest with you, this guy. Uh, But it sounds like you've known about him longer, Mason. How do you you know about this guy? Uh, I heard about him in 2016. He was another sort of... um, Another sort of, uh, we'll say... Uh, of one of my proverbial discover weekly clients, you yeah. know, uh, the algorithm popped this guy over to me. And I think it was definitely when I was living in um, North Hollywood. So it was probably July or August, 2016 and discover weekly said, you should listen to the song, uh, the comeback, which is off of uh, jumping the shark. I listened to it and I thought this is pretty good. Um, listened to it a lot for a spell, but did, there wasn't like much else of him at that time. And then his album came out and I was kind of like, I don't know if I like this song enough to listen to this guy's full album. Um, and then, and like, I don't think he got back onto my radar until maybe 2018, for whatever reason. Um, probably in the interim, you hear the song Happy Ending. It was in one of the season finales of the show High Maintenance. And I'm like, oh, I like this song a lot. Uh, and then uh, I think the song Country Figs off of Forest Witness was sure. kind of way back in. Um, heard that song, really bounced along to it. And then I discovered the rest of Forced Witness and listened to that and tracked on and off there from 2018 through 2019. Saw him in concert in 2019 when uh, Miami Memory came out. And, uh, yeah. I love that. That's it. I, Yeah, he's just been a uh, – he's been a guy who's 
I don't I haven't like followed his career very closely, but he's just a guy whose album cycle I kind of got on top of after a point. And he puts on a really fun show, I will say. Uh had a real good time at that show. Uh Sonny, had you ever heard of Alex Cameron before? So this is funny because when you guys had sent me this album for for this week's episode, I was like, I don't know who this is. I'll I will listen to this album at some point. And I, I had put it on Spotify and I realized that I had one song from him saved and it was Candy May. Oh, and that's a great song. Okay. Yeah, I really love that song. And uh, I don't know his work that well. I'd never listened to the rest of whatever album that song is on. You guys would know better than I would. And I was like, oh, it's going to sound like that. It's going to sound like Candy right. May. And then I go and put on Miami Memory. I'm like, oh. What is <laughs> <laughs> right. Not... Well, and we'll talk more about that later. But it was funny. It's it just is a big it turn is a big turn from the the thing that I had um, yeah. associated him with. Were you at all? I guess. I guess I'm gonna ask you point blank. Was it a good turn yeah. or was it a ooh turn? Dude. So I will say this: when I first heard "Stepdad," <laughs> I put it on in the shower, and I, I think I can't remember if at this point I, if I had connected that he had done "Candy Mate" or not. But I thought you guys were like fucking with me. I was like, "This is <laughs> terrible! This is terrible! It's so awful!" And uh, I've listened to the whole album a couple times, and I listened to it all day today in prep for this, and I fucking love it. I think it's great. <laughs> and and now when. Now when I listen to Stepdad again, which I did on the drive home tonight, I was like, oh, this is just different. But that doesn't mean it's bad. I, I had a lot of fun listening to it. Um, yeah, it is a positive turn. It totally is. It doesn't sound That's like how I thought cool. it would sound, but yeah. I don't know how much we want to dive into, like, I don't know, talking about it right now. But I, I think the big thing was, like, I don't keep up with a lot of contemporary music, which is a huge, huge, huge problem. But... It reminds me of something like Bruce Springsteen or something. Yeah, he's yeah, kind of like, yeah. He's like spinning these very, like, uh, I don't know, like working class yarns. And I, I love that. I love that. I'm just not used to hearing stuff like that. So I, I don't know. Hearing it again, I, it really kind of opened me up to it. It was really very moving. It uh, is very know? moving. It's one of those, it's one of those yeah. weird instances where – this so this was obviously the first album that I had heard of his all the way through. This was my gateway to him. And I think because yeah. this album was my gateway to him, I like it more than his previous album, Forced Witness, which when I had spoken to some people, I was like, hey, I really like this guy, Alex Cameron. Have you guys heard this? Uh, former guests of the show, Jimmy Evans and Thomas Serdarian, uh, they were like, mostly Thomas was like, I like Alex Cameron. I like Forced Witness more than Miami Memory, which I found to be very interesting. Mm -hmm. I think it all depends on where you come first. Did you listen to Forced Witness first? Yeah. Did you listen to Miami Memory first? Because they are different vibes. I will say my favorite Alex Cameron song is off Forced Witness, and it is Marlon Brando. Did you get a chance to listen to Marlon Brando? I did, <laughs> yeah. I Well, I watched the video for it, too, which is really good. Yeah. What is, what is the video for it? I actually haven't seen the video for it. Can you describe it at all? It looks like, it looks like a... No, I can't describe <laughs> okay. it. Okay. Just, just yeah. watch it. 
Just watch it. Uh, it's yeah. That's a Marlon Brando is a really interesting. That's a very complicated song. There's this a very pointed use of a yeah. certain slur in that song that like. That's when you're not. Big, so did you guys read about him at all? I mean, I don't. I did sure a little bit about him, but. I was Apparently trying to find he some met stuff his about. girlfriend, or he he had been living with his girlfriend, who's Jemima Clark, Clark or whatever from, from Kirk, girls. Kirk, yeah, from girls, and uh, they had I guess big long conversations about him using that right. particular word, and um, I think he had met her trying to make that video or something like that. Um, it's very funny, and I you know I I understand the backlash. So I I guess to be clear, the backlash is that. He uses a gay yes. slur, and I think he's talking in, at least from when I hear it, and I think the same thing with Candy May. It's like a, a, a character exactly right. that's right. very toxic, exactly. masculine, yeah. and, you know, he does that in this album, but, you know, 12 times over or whatever, where every song seems like it could be somebody different, exactly. you know? Exactly, and I think that's why he the writes, use of that yeah. word in that song is so effective, because... He does what I really like in more than just songs, but just it happens a lot in poetry I've found and a lot in short stories I've found where the character and he does sing in a lot of characters. And like you were saying, the Bruce Springsteen working class person has a lot of the time who he's singing through and talking through, which is very interesting when we talk about the last track on the album. And I have a lot to say about the last track on the album. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. He uses this gay slur, and at the beginning of the song, this isn't on the album Miami Memory for anybody wondering why they're not hearing this song, Marlon Brando on Miami. This is off Forced Witness, but uh, (laughs) he uses this gay slur, and at the beginning of the song, the character doesn't have a problem using that word, and he uses it very flippantly and without any sort of thought going into it. And then at the end of the song... He very explicitly says, I shouldn't have been using that word. And he makes the turn. And when I heard him do that, I went, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. He's really good at doing this. And I absolutely am head over heels in love with this guy. He's writing character pieces through music, much like the first album that we ever talked about on this show, Good Old Boys by Randy Newman. Randy Newman's Good Old Boys. Yeah, and I feel like... That's so funny. Randy Newman, there's a song, it's like the, the, I never thought I'd feel bad for the boys, whatever that song is called. Yeah, bad for the boys. I was listening to that and I was like, oh, this is a Randy Newman song. Even the vocal application sounds like Randy Newman. It's just, it's so much like Randy Newman. Probably a very basic take. <laughs> it's, it's no, like, it's it's but very I think true. It's accurate. Springsteen was the name that got pulled up as a um, comparison to him a lot, uh, mm-hmm. which you definitely hear when you're listening totally. to it. And I think that there is a particular kind of like he's worked with Brandon Flowers of the Killers. They're like apparently yeah. songwriting friends. They wrote uh, "Running Out of Luck" together, which is one of my favorites. From is that uh, on this album? That's I don't on remember Force that Witness. Song. No, no, no. Oh, okay, Force okay, Witness. Okay. And I feel like. Springsteen definitely influenced that generation of guys. Like, and then there was the other one, the, uh, the gaslight anthem was a big, like kind of also around that same time of guys that sounded very much like Springsteen and that's here. But I think he's Alex Cameron also has that sort of like Randy Newman sort of like ironic, like just kind of wink and side glance, uh, in his songwriting, which is like, yeah, not a thing. And also I would also draw a comparison between him and Warren Zevon, who's another one of my guys. There's, there's, um, 
there's one song I think he's on more overtly we'll, we'll winky than Warren Zevon. I think Warren Zevon was like yeah, music first, but, then the wink. Whereas I think Alex Cameron have weighs heavily the. I wink don't think Zevon is music. Zevon's. I think you're right. Warren Zevon was very music first. He wasn't very winky. He was very sort of um, forceful, and I think he was also more willing to. Um, uh, he was also more willing to invite scrutiny onto himself kind of right out the gate. I'm talking about Zevon here. What's interesting about Miami memory is it's like the first one where he is like kind of being sincere. Like he's kind of like half in of this, this like kind of this performance of toxic masculinity, this ironic character sort of a way and mixing in with like stuff that you feel is like true to his heart. And you see him like kind of, um, he's kind of, moving away from his sort of earlier like um like dry ironist persona and when this album came out i think divorce was the first single and i'm like this is exciting this is as ac as i remember him and then i think miami memory was next and i was not prepared for how sincere that song was coming from this guy yeah no shit um it's interesting that miami so i think the two most sincere tracks on this album are Miami Memory, which is the second song on the album, and the last track, Too Far. Too Far. Other than that, he's being, you know, a little bit of a stinker, which I personally, I think that's one of the reasons why I absolutely love this guy is because he's not afraid to be a little bit of a stinker. And I think that there's a little bit of some of that missing in mainstream music, you know? And it's not just necessarily, you know, the non-sincerity that I... Uh, I'm driven to because I like the sincere stuff. Although I will say Miami memory is actually my least favorite track on the album, which I know is kind of a hot take, but it is my least favorite track on the album. Whereas the last track is tied for my favorite on the album. So it's not the not, what is your other, my favorite favorite is stepdad. That's my favorite track on the album. Oh, stepdad. (laughs) Yeah, I I do. I it's grown on me. I think my favorite is the end is nothing. That's a good one. That's a really good one. The end is nice. Really good. I, this it's time, extremely relatable. <laughs> I just, I get it. I get what he's getting at. Well, he wrote that song about um, his friend Richard Swift, who is a musician yeah. who died of alcohol-related complications in uh, 2018, and was kind of like a, uh, I guess, a, like kind of a tribute to him. Um, oh, in a interesting. Way. A is, lot so of those also, lines, I feel like, yeah. are similar to things I've said in real life. <laughs> Boys, I, 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 we don't have to do this if we don't want to, but I did something a little extra special because this is sort of my current obsession right now. I actually went oh, through each song and I picked out my favorite lyric or small passage from each song. Would you like to go okay. somewhat quickly? Because we do have a movie to talk about that our guest brought and he's way more interested yeah. in talking about that than he is on Cameron, obviously. But uh, <laughs> I really, I know, I really, really, I, on, I have to say to you guys now, completely sincerely, you have given me a gift. And I like it, we get Ken's on the pod right now to hear me belly aching about having to listen to this album, and I really fucking like it. I really, really like it. I'm I am glad to add it to the rotation. Good. Uh, I I love I love it. Well, I love it. Then you're gonna love <laughs> me saying, "Let's go through <laughs> you know relatively quickly, song by song let's, here. Let's it's do a it. 38 minute album. There's 10 tracks. It's very easy. It's easy breezy, I guess, in that sense. But I do have a couple fast facts." 
for you here, specifically the fact that this album was produced none other by Jonathan Rado of Foxygen. I don't know if that means anything to either of you guys, if you guys are Foxygen fans or not, but Rado has worked with not really. some really <laughs> interesting contemporaries, Father John Misty, for one, and number two, okay. Tim Heidecker. And I think Tim Heidecker's music oh, no is very similar to Alex Cameron's music, actually. I think they're a very yeah. interesting yeah. companion artist yeah. there. So don't know if that really means anything to you guys, Jonathan Rado. No, that makes sense. I mean, they're like making fun of what men are like. Yes. You know, you're a dad and you grill the brats <laughs> and you teach the kid how to play baseball and like how hilarious all that stuff is. I mean, that seems like a backbone of like – the whole, even all, like Tim, all of Tim and Eric's stuff is like making fun of men. I 100%. feel like at its yeah. core. Um, yeah, that completely makes and sense. And then I too. got a poll quote here from a guy with a really, I don't know if this is a fake name or not, but he writes, or at least did write for GQ for a time. His name is Colin Groundwater, which is a sweet name. Hmm. Uh, and this is his, this cool. is his poll quote here. Glenn Snackwell. <laughs> Glenn Snackwell, Colin <laughs> Groundwater, Alex Trebek. Miami Memory is an unabashed love record that explores relationships at their most sentimental moments and their wildest extremes. And I think he fucking hits the nail on the head there. What do you guys think? What do you have to say? What do you have yeah, to say? Yeah, totally. Sonny, do you have any comment on that? I do. I, I, I agree. And I think the one thread that we had put down that we hadn't quite picked up yet is I, I thought where you were going with um, being infatuated with this during quarantine yeah. is this is like such an album about being normal. Like the fucking guy's got to pick up the kid from school. I mean, I don't think there's an explicit lyric about something like that, but like, Oh, I went on vacation with you in Miami and we had great sex. Uh, I'm an alcoholic and I go to meetings like all just these regular things that obviously alcoholics can probably still find a way to go to a meeting via zoom or something, but all these things that just feel very normal and to hear them as great is like, you do you don't fret about it as much when you listen to it in quarantine. I'm like, oh my god, that just is what life is like. I guess <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, yeah. kind of sucks. But but life sucking is better than whatever this is because it's really exactly. Fucking That's a great point, and I'm I'm glad you put that thread back into our brains, uh, Sonny Mason. Is there any <laughs> comment you have about Mr. Groundwater's quote about Miami memory before we talk about each of these songs for a little bit? No, let's just get into the songs. Uh, let's <laughs> okay. just get into the songs. So the first song on this, we're going straight through. We won't spend nearly as long on this as we did uh, with Nina Kramer last episode because we gave you guys a two-hour-long episode, and I don't know if everybody liked that. But uh, <laughs> more love, baby. More love. More cushion for more, the pussy. Hey, listen, you said it, not me. So the first song uh, on the album, which is probably tied for my favorite, and now it's Sonny's favorite, it sounds like, is uh, Stepdad. Uh, my personal Stepdad. favorite lyric in uh, the song is the beginning of the chorus where he says, now, if you think I'm chasing the seasons, like a van is some place to be, I'm your stepdad. And I'm not singing it like he would sing it in the song. <laughs> but uh, it, and I, when I first heard the lyric, I personally thought, and I'm notoriously terrible at knowing what the words to songs are. I will just make shit up and it doesn't even have to be real. And I'm like, yep, that's the word to that song. But I was close actually on this one. I thought it was, so now if you think I'm chasing the seasons like a man with some place to be, 
is what I thought it was, <laughs> which I actually like better yeah. personally, but you know. Yeah, that actually might be a tad better. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. AC, are you taking better. notes here uh, on how to improve your fucking yeah, songs, you dude? Fucking <laughs> dumbass piece of shit. Dude, <laughs> listen to this pod, learn to write better songs, you fucking dumbass. Exactly. Uh, Sonny. He sucks. Also, speak English. <laughs> Sonny, you said that this song was kind of a groaner for you when you first came uh when it first came on can you talk about your uh evolution with this one real quick yeah 100 percent. so i'll say the 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 like the synth sounds i thought it was i i guess i didn't i when you hear the kind of whole atmosphere of the entire album the sound of that synth that stabs to open yeah. the song makes more sense when you're going into the album with no context it sounds like the shittiest, yeah. like, Reason Logic Pro dance thing. And yeah. knowing what I knew from Candy May, which is, like, kind of slimy, grimy shit, I was like, oh, what is he doing? What What is this? And this is, I maybe this is the biggest evolution, is I'm, I'm really picky about voices, and I, I thought his voice on this one was okay. annoying. And the stepdad, there's a little bit of a crack yeah. in his voice and all that stuff, and I was like, Oh, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. I can't listen to it. And the more I've heard it, I'm like, oh no, this is the best way to sing a song like oh. this. It completely makes sense to me. Um, yeah, that. Oh, well, that's the evolution right okay. there, right? Mason, what about you? What, what are your <laughs> thoughts on Stepdad, real quick? No, I love this song. I I love that this is the. Um, it's this. I I'm totally like. It is a very like purposefully just dumb and triumphant just kind of like Casio medley basically and it's yeah. just this perfect sort of like hollow like hollowly grandiose sort of like shell to case these like lyrics that Alex Cameron are right is writing um, about just like one of the most pathetic men ever to exist totally uh, but there's like a, who's like I love the magic in like him giving like I, I, if you're in the story of the song or whatever it's like him talking to the kid he's yes. the yeah. stepson uh, ostensibly yeah. no and he he's thinks like he's like John Wayne lessons. at the end of the Searchers basically <laughs> exactly <He's> like, <laughs> yeah but then he cuts it there's the one lyric where he goes like and go and fetch my duffel yes. bag and it's like in the middle of him telling him about like uh, the way people will talk about me blah 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 and go fetch my duffel bag it's yeah. like such a dad <laughs> it <thing>. is <laughs> And in this song, I think it sets up the two themes of the album, which are, of course, in real life are very intermingled. And I think that's why I responded to it so much, because like Mr. Groundwater said, this is about the intimacies of love and the extremes and wildness of relationships. But it's also about loneliness and how lonely people can feel and where quote-unquote common people i don't believe that but that's just the phrase i'm gonna use here you know common people how these working class people would actually maybe say how lonely they're feeling whether they know it or not and i think that's the magic Uh for me is that it's lonely it's heartbreak but it's also extremely caring and it treats these people with respect it treats these people like they're full-fleshed human beings and not caricatures of what you would expect because yes the stepdad Mm -hmm. character in this song gross i wouldn't want him to be my stepdad either but he wants that stepson to believe that he is the coolest guy and to not believe anything that anyone would ever say about this guy that's wrong and i think that is noble and i think that is good writing then that's that's where i'm gonna stand on that can we move on to miami yeah love it 
Let's move on to Miami Great. Memory. So you said this is your least favorite. I really love the sort of um uh I really like this song. <laughs> um, okay, that's, that's, that's fine. I really like this uh, this song a lot. I like I am a big sucker for stuff that has this kind of like doomed optimism to it and my kind of mason's lyric for this is knowing the world's a sinking ship knowing we've been here the before knowing that when a car is underwater they vacuum seal the door um i love the kind of poetry in that and i love the just i don't know there's not a few things more romantic to me than the sort of scene of this sort of like Fuck, like, you know, the car is sinking, but we're still holding on to each other as this world is collapsing. Yeah. I think that this song captures that, and it's almost like life flashing before your eyes. And what's flashing before your eyes is this are these moments of, like, tremendous romance where, like, you know, you ate your girlfriend's ass out and she came like a tsunami. Like, that's what you're thinking I was about, about as you're, it. like, uh. as, like, the, the pressures of the world is, like, bursting against the, the, the vacuum seal of the car and the water's coming in what you were thinking about before you die, what that is <laughs> in your last moments, your brain is trying to bring you to some place of solace. And it's baby. Remember when I ate your ass out and you came <laughs> so good. And I think that is beautiful. That is my take on Miami memory. <laughs> well, I mean, there's like, there's just a lot to be said about like having sex with your partner in a hotel, in a foreign locale, eating their ass it just is like poetry. It's fucking yeah, so, great. It is worth it is worth singing. So that about. is why that, yeah, that makes that sense is to why me. my favorite lyric in the song is uh, maybe I know at the end of the day that the water's rising and it's hard to breathe. Eating your ass like an oyster, the way you came like a tsunami. That is my favorite lyric in the oh, song. Love it. Uh, love it. I will. It's probably my least favorite, and it's not to say I don't like the song because I do like the song. It's just my least favorite of what else we have going on here because I think there are more interesting songs on this album gotcha. than there sure. are about, hey, remember when I, you know, fucked you so good that it was the best sex you've ever had in your life. So, I mean, I said my piece on Miami Memory. We can move on to the stuff you, you, you more want to talk about. Uh, but that's that's just why I like that song a lot. It does gross me out a little bit. Think about Alex Cameron eating Jemima Kirk's ass like an oyster. in my <laughs> Like an oyster. Yeah. But I, I, I find this sentiment very romantic and very relatable. And I and that I respect. You hear that, folks? Sonny Dion Jr. for a price. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll crack you open like an oyster. So the next song on the album. Yeah, if anyone needs their ass eaten out, listen. listen. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, we're going to start uploading this oh, to boy. fucking Red Tube. Uh, third song on the album, Far From Born Again, which was the first Alex Cameron song I ever heard. My favorite lyrics of this song are, some love them and then leave them. Some want you to stay. It doesn't make a difference if she does it for pay. This this is about fucking sex work, ladies and gentlemen. Love this it. Should be dude. the sex workers anthem it. along with Roxanne. Those two songs. Let's get that fucking legalized, baby. I mean, no kidding. Uh, oh, yeah. Man, oh, yeah. I, Roxanne's a song about not going out and performing sex work. This is a song that has a lot of pride for sex workers, which is why I think. Oh my god! A, totally. Yeah. Yeah, and I uh, the music video for this one's really good because it takes place in a strip club, as one does, and then there's a break right before the last chorus into the end and they actually like interview actual sex workers oh, wow. about like their uh their job and stuff like that their profession and it's very interesting so i would definitely recommend watching the the music video for that um i like this one's kind of um 
70s like kind of strut like r&b like maybe not r&b but like a strut rock kind of song um with this like kind of alex cameron is this like detached narrator um talking about this woman who like liberates herself through through sex work and you know what you love to hear it folks absolutely no shit yeah it's so easy to look at like people that do that kind of work and i mean i've mason you know you know this like i was in a loving relationship with someone that used to be a dancer. So like yeah. <laughs> that shit, like it's not single moms. It's not uh, like just hoes trying to put, put their ways to, to themselves through college. They're no, human like, fucking beings. They're human There's beings all they're kinds really fucking of aspects. Good at their job. Of, hell yeah, dude. I would strongly like, recommend I, the film Hustlers. Great fucking movie. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I think... Um, the kind of people that frown at being with people that have been in sex work need to be put in the fucking gulag. Oh, yeah, and this and this song kind of calls those guys out, uh, specifically yeah. the men out that try to shame women from. For from this sure. Perspective, Far from uh, born from again. She's doing porn again. Uh, that's that's the message of the song is that she's doing porn again. Yeah, Love it. Uh, but it's very triumphant. Anything else, or can we move on? Let's move on. Let's Next song, Gaslight. Don't go lying now, baby. Your dates are all hazy. Hear me out. I'm a nice guy. Every single fucking lyric in this song is a gaslight. Every single one. Yeah. It's awesome. It's so smart yeah. how he decided to do that. It's funny because he, it's, I mean, jump not to jump too far ahead or whatever, but like for too far, it seems like he talks about like, hey, you know, the way you've lied about things to save face, blah, blah, blah. There's just a lot on this album about lying to your partner. And it's interesting to try to mine what, like how exactly he feels about when you lie to your partner. Um, Cause I don't necessarily think Gaslight is making it so extreme. Like when you're in a relationship, you lie about all kinds of different things. No, this and guy is I think, clearly like a shitty person that he, exact, that's, yeah, it, it's a different character. It's a completely different character from the, the person, in the final hundred percent, 100%. It's a great point. He, this guy is scum. This guy, you know, we literally, he would lie about fucking knocking the glass down at dinner. You know, if he so openly yeah. did it, you know, he's, he's one of those schmucks. Uh, we got, we got some yeah. more songs to run through. Is it okay if I move on? Yeah, okay. let's do it. Yeah. Right. Let's Speed around it. here. Bad for the boys. Now you're living your little lives without women and blaming them for all the change. You thought the boys were gonna uh, were going to stay the same, but no one cares about your good old days. And I think that is what can awesome. I say? That is what can you so say? I, relatable, baby. <laughs> this we was all like, know it. We all oh know, like, yeah, oh my friends. god. When when this album first came out, um, I was listening to it. I really was enjoying it on first listen kind of couldn't find it uh like you know doing the first album and then this song starts playing um and this is my like kind of first big surprise like off the like album pick um it's so fucking funny it's like you know you grow up listening like classic rock radio with your dad or something and hearing about how like great like the 70s or the 80s were when the they boys were in are back in and town then, like yeah the boys are back exactly. in town and then you grow up <laughs> and then you meet your own boys and you realize that all like the other boys you grew up to admire are like shitty, pathetic people. And this is a song about being it's just the guy like, who literally is like, Oh my God, do you see how the football, the high school football team did this year? And it's like, no dude, oh, yeah. I got fucking exactly. kids to take care yeah. of. You know, it's stop living in the past, baby move on. And it's awesome that he yeah. so pointedly points that out. And that kind of toxic male I think is awesome. For sure. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I just went to a wedding back in Florida where I went to high school 
And that was my life for three days was this song. It was like, I never thought I'd feel bad for the boys. But here are all my boys. My friend group is back together. And like this guy beat up his girlfriend Aww. and I just found out about it. Uh, oh, no. You know, this guy is still living in this tiny town. And it's just it, that completely makes sense to me. I, I, I love this. Well, life. this is I think you brought up this next one, uh, Sonny, as you're like, yeah, big mood, basically. Uh, and the next song on this one is End is Nigh, which my favorite my oh, favorite my cuts from this <laughs> one <laughs> are going to miss writing songs on piano. Going to miss Shay and her giant cans. Going to miss that pretty little Jew, Rado, who is Jonathan Rado, the producer of this album. Going to miss my daughter growing into, into a man. A man yeah. I mean, what a what yep. a trip of a little, like, two yeah. couplets there. Uh, you said this one was kind of a big mood for you. Very, I just think very relatable. Um, specifically, like, how... I don't know. I don't know how much I want to reveal my That's cards okay. here. I, I, I think that... The the one line the one line is like uh, someone accusing you of being drunk and he's like how can I or 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 being hungover or whatever and he's like how can I be hungover I'm still right. drunk I just that it, this is probably the most outwardly hilarious song or or maybe that's just my relationship <laughs> to it but like this had the most like gag lines to me where right? I was just dying laughing. Where it's like, oh, I go to these meetings and they remind me of my dad with all their Bible shit. Interesting. <laughs> For me, the most outwardly yeah. funny song is probably Stepdad, but I guess it all depends on where you know where where you're looking at it from, what angle you're looking at it. My from. favorite funny song is is coming up coming up soon here. I can't wait to get into it. But uh, yeah, this is this is I wrote down this is the song that reminded me the most of uh, Warren Zevon. Sure. Uh, I think yeah, just just. Um, and I think it's. Uh, I think I talked about this a little bit on the, the special podcast I did with Noah oh. about why I like uh, Zevon so much. Zevon writes very good, like kind of um, down and out music, and this is a mm. very big time down and out song. Uh, Do so, you guys like Midland? Do you listen to Midland at all? Is. Only because Ken's introduced me to them. Oh, yeah. Uh, Noah, do yourself a favor. Just go listen to that first Midland album. It's okay. so good. It's this kind of like barroom music. There's like oh, a song, boy. Drinking yeah. Problems. It's about everyone's telling a guy he's got a drinking problem, but he's got no drinking. He's got no problem drinking sure. at all. Like that's the kind of joke gotcha. of the whole thing. It, this is kind of what that reminded me of. It's like a boozer that is highly functioning. And is annoyed with meetings because they remind him of his dad. That's probably even even worse boozer. Right. And then his girlfriend that's criticizing him. And he's like, well, I'm not going to start drinking for you. All that stuff. Very relatable. <laughs> it's very relatable. Speaking <laughs> of relatable, uh, this next track on the album is called PC with me. And my little uh, lyric it. here that I pulled is just basically the heart of the chorus where the woman – that is speaking to the speaker in this, presumably Alex Cameron, just says, the meaner they are, the harder I fall in love, which is just, love I mean, that's some truth right there, brother. That's the true yeah. true, as my friend says. <laughs> what was your what was your first impression of this one, Sonny? I don't know. I, it's, I don't remember this one as well as I remember some of the others, but it's got the same thing, which is very charming because it's a very different character and a very different specific story that's kind of... Uh, evokes a thing right away yes. and i love music like that in general um 
and again, very relatable. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this, this kind of person is someone that everybody exactly. knows. Everyone knows this. Everyone's been in a relationship like this or known a girl or a boy or whatever. That's kind of like And if that. you don't know that person, you might be that person. Exactly. <laughs> that's a great way to put it yeah. what about you mace i don't know this song doesn't leave too much of an impression on me to be completely honest i i just i listened to it when i was listening to it for the i truly forgot it existed great. And i was listening to this album for the podcast <laughs> and i was just like oh i don't remember this song and then i didn't really like listen to it and then i was listening to the podcast the album again and i was like Oh yeah, I it's this it's this song just I don't know what it is. This one just doesn't really do Great. Much, then do we're going to move on. So the, the next track because this song, ooh, ooh this is this is my favorite. This is my favorite. I got a friends in I got friends in Kansas City with a motherfucking futon couch baby. This is divorce. This is yes. I dare yes. you yes. to divorce me, bitch. Is basically I the message that I get from this song. Uh Mason, you said this is oh, your yeah. favorite on this on this album? This is still, yeah, this is still my favorite. This is the one that brings me just the most amount of joy when I re-listened to this album was was find, was find listening to this song again. And without fail, anytime, because they have such a good wind-up from the first verse of the pre-chorus. And then when he just starts, when he spits out and his, like, so, uh, just spits out, I got friends in Kansas City with a motherfucking futon couch, if that's how you want to play it. Like, this sort of, yeah. like, the ceiling, like, this guy has the character in the song. The Alex Cameron character in the song is just so aggressive, but his aggression has like a ceiling. Yes, and he can't be like any like. He's a guy that doesn't. It's one of it, he. It's so funny, and each time it's kind of like with stepdad, where like the kind of production supports this like is like kind of how the guy hears the world around him, and the lyrics are sort of like basically just documenting his behavior. Totally. Same thing here, kind of with divorce. I feel. Where it's like, this is like the shittiest, um, most self-involved man who um, has no self-awareness at all either and doesn't realize that maybe leaving his loved one's lives would be just a net benefit for them. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, but it's also like a really fun, like kind of soul rock song that's just like, uh, that I love. I don't know. This song, I think this is my favorite funny song. Uh, I laugh at the chorus every time. That's that's all I feel about divorce. Is just um, yeah. That's so it. Any, that's any thoughts on it. this one before we got two more to get through? Any more? Any more thoughts on divorce? I'll, I'll be fast. I, I agree with Mason. This is a hilarious song, uh, but I think it did the best. And they, I mean, this is a symptom of what the album does the best, which is, at least for me, makes me empathize with characters that you don't like exactly. to see sides of yourself exactly. in. And exactly. I'm like, maybe yeah, I haven't said that, but I've said something a lot like yeah. that in a yeah. different thing, you know? And yeah. I, I just love that shit. I mean, that's the point exactly. of it, Exactly. Right? This is the Buffalo 66 of music, folks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, second to last track on here is Other Ladies. This one isn't, like I said, Miami Memory is probably my least favorite. This one I also could probably do without, like, if I, like, could, like, go in and be like, ah, I'll skip this one. But again, I like every song on this one. And my pick as far as lyrics are concerned on this one is I've been working. Like you told me pitching shows to NBC, but that old Tim Allen ain't the way he used to be. It's not for me. TV. Yeah. This is a wild ass song. This is, I like this song a lot. This is kind of, um, I like this kind of rootsy roots, Rocky kind of like Leon Russell thing he's got going on here. 
uh, huge organ sound. This is kind of him, I think, closing the book on his, like, um, like the character from Jumping the Shark, basically. Because sure. getting a TV deal was a big point of, a big plot point in the song. It's like that failed comeback. entertainer character being put to bed, almost. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Mm. I think so. That's how I read it. And I, I just think that it's a very... Uh, I like the production on this one. I like that it sounds, like I said, a Roots Rocky kind of song. Um, but yeah, that's how I feel about it. Sonny, how do you feel about Other Ladies? This one's definitely a skipper for me. I, I don't oh, okay. know. I don't remember on <laughs> much of the lyrics. I don't even remember really what it sounds like. And I know I've heard it like three times at least, I guess, which isn't saying much. But I just I, I can't say anything intelligent about it. That's really okay, because I think we all have something to say about the last track on this album, which is the 10th and final oh, track. Yeah. Too far. Too uh, far. This is my tied for my favorite track on the album, along with Stepdad. And my favorite, this is my uh, Mercedes Valuable Player, of course, named. This is obviously named after Mercedes Ruel from Married to the Mob. <laughs> obviously, everyone would know that just from obviously. hearing Obviously, everyone's favorite recurring, <laughs> recurring bit. Uh, this is my Mercedes Valuable Player of the entire album, and it is the monologue that you hear at the end of the album. Oh, yeah. Because the first time I heard this, it left me in complete chills, and I was like, oh, I think I have a new favorite like artist or at least someone to like run he's not my new favorite artist but it's like one of those things where it's like i think i have found one of the greats now and so i'm gonna just quickly read through what that monologue is because when i say it you're gonna be like that sucks but when you hear it on the album you're gonna be like that's awesome sometimes i find myself contemplating what life could be like after you've left me and it's dark but in that place for a brief moment i understand how the men from your past feel they feel pathetic for having lost someone so unique. Why I can't understand is what I can't understand is how they treat you, how they left their own feelings of shame and disappointment in themselves and how they let that obscure the truth. The truth is you're a good mother. The truth that your children love and admire you and have no, and you have nothing to be uh, fuck and ha and have nothing to be afraid of when they're in your presence. The truth that you're an artist, you're an actor and a motherfucking powerhouse. So if you're worried that this could all come undone because of something you said or did, and might come back to haunt you. I don't care about your past. I don't care about how many times you've lied to save face or to protect yourself. I only care that you're mine for as long as you're around. And for as long as that's in the cards, then sweet one, you could never go too far. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. And that comes after just ironic rip after slightly less ironic rip after saying, I'm going to go to Kansas city and sleep on a motherfucking futon couch. You get that over yeah. this synth. I don't know if we've talked about how important that synth quality is and that 80 sound yeah. is because it leads you to believe that none of this is genuine. When in fact it is the opposite. It is completely genuine and completely fulfilled with what these characters want. And that is my Mercedes viable player for this album. Sonny, anything to say about too far or the monologue or anything on that last track? Oh man. I, I love this song. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm going through a divorce right now. So okay. <laughs> to, to, to hear that, uh, was, uh, very moving and, I, what else can you say? It's great. Yeah, yeah, man. That's awesome. Mason? I don't know, dude. I mean, this is your song in the album. I think you kind of closed the book. <laughs> like, you know, closed the book on the song here. Honestly, like, I don't have anything to follow that up. That's okay. Do you have a Mercedes Valuable um, yeah. Player on this one? You know what my Mercedes Valuable Player is? What's that? My Mercedes Valuable Player is Jemima Kirk on this one. Okay. Little, dude, little seriously, the left fielder here. I really feel like... 
she's been a sort of a more grounded presence to him. Like, I really do like Forced Witness, but I am curious to see what the next stage of his career is. Because he just, he is releasing, I think by the time this al- this episode comes out, it will have already been out, but he's releasing a album of demos from this, uh, record th- from this, these sort of sessions. Yeah, we just got the Gaslight um, one as like a single, so to speak, for this. Yeah, basically. And he's, uh, I don't know. I think that it takes a special lady to get someone to write uh, a song like Miami Memory or Too Far um, and kind of get this guy to, uh, get someone to, you know, do, I think, continue on the path he was already on his way towards towards fulfilling, which is like a move towards sincerity, basically. Um, so if, if I have Mercedes Valuable Player, it's Jemima Kirk. Um, there you go. And also because my roommate has been watching a lot of girls and I've been catching up on girls and she's really good and funny as probably the, probably my favorite girl on girls, I would say. Wow. So, uh, maybe Jemima the Kirk. only girl I can tolerate. I on was girls. just going to say, I, I think I've that's the thing. That that's show, the thing but... about her, right? Like she's the, she's the best, She's the best girls, right? <laughs> Sonny, yeah. do you have a Mercedes valuable player? It could be an aspect or it could be a song on the album. Is there something that you want to give the proverbial Mercedes valuable player trophy to? Oh my God. Mercedes valuable player. It's got to be talking about eating her ass like there an you go. and her coming like a tsunami. It's just yeah, too baby. good. Come on, guys. <laughs> it's so good. Well, you're right. It's undeniable. Uh, <laughs> Sonny. Would you recommend this album? I want to know. You can be be honest with me. A hundred percent. Two thumbs up. Yeah. hundred percent. Mason, would you? Uh, I would. I think Forced Witness might be the better way into Alex Cameron as a whole, but I, I do like this album a lot. Uh, just if you're going to listen to Forced Witness, be advised there is that little that, that little word yep. in the song Marlon Brando. Uh, but this is a kind of a gentler album. Uh, it's only his third like st- al- like studio release. Um, I'm curious to see what he does next. Uh, he's, he's a, he's an artist who I like and return to in a good amount. So I would recommend this album. Noe, I feel like you're about to, uh, well, how do you feel about this album, oh, buddy? Uh, I fucking hate this album. This <laughs> uh, album fucking sucks. No, this is a fucking awesome album. I don't think it's going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I'm going to give it a full recommend anyway. Uh, I think this is absolutely worth your time. It's only 38 minutes. It's not that long. You might find your new favorite, or you might want this album to rot in hell for all eternity. But either way, you haven't given much too much. You haven't given up too much of your time to give it a shot. Uh, and if you are a fan of the short story, if you are a fan of poetry, if you are a fan of literature, just in general of reading, I think this is a guy for you. I think there's a lot of literary qualities to these to these songs. And if you're a fan of 80 synth, you're also going to have a lot to love in this. So this is a full recommend for me, but that's not the reason why we're here. We've, that's not the reason why we've all con- congregated here that we've gathered here today because Sonny has brought us 2004's ocean 12 to talk about as well. Claps, 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 claps. Uh, Sonny, I don't have the number in front of me, but you have logged this movie on letterboxd over five times i'm gonna go and say you've logged it seven or eight times what the fuck is going on with you and oceans 12 my man so i learned this yesterday i've reviewed it since i've had letterboxd nine times nine times (laughs) just the times i've written reviews for it and i think i've logged it without reviewing it other times scary um (laughs) i mean what do you mean what's going on i i'm gonna say this 
I think it's the greatest sequel of all time. And yes, I'm thinking of all the great ones. Godfather 2, Empire Strikes Back. Jaws. Yep, uh, one of the greats. <laughs> Classic. Yes. <laughs> wow. It's it, it's with it's with all of them. I think it does everything the first one does, but better and differently. Uh, yeah, I I just love this movie. Do you remember how it came into your life? Do you remember like how it? So I was trying to remember that. I I rewatched it last night for this episode, and I was having a conversation about it, and I was trying to remember, and I think. It, I don't remember exactly how it came across my desk proverbially sure. or whatever, mm-hmm. but I, I think there, I, I know for sure the reason I love it is because in 2005, maybe it was on HBO or Skinamax or whatever, all <laughs> the fucking yeah. time, all the time. And I had already liked Ocean's Eleven, but I just, I, it was like, I feel like I know the first 20 minutes of this movie more than like my, my, family's birthdays it just i know every shot every cut everything i've seen the first part of this movie on cable a lot of people say this i'm not exaggerating 100 times holy shit at least that like i have watched i just love this movie i've seen a million times wow okay those are those those are some big words there uh mason yeah yeah. he's really bringing the fucking he's bringing the fight this episode i can't wait yeah uh i think i might have to put (laughs) him to go to the fuck to the fucking mat for uh for oceans 12 here it's gonna be really exciting might have to to put on my spiked gloves for this one throw a blue shell your way but uh mason What's your relationship to Ocean's 12 or the Ocean's franchise? Um, Ocean's 11, for whatever reason, was a big movie with, like, my first cousins when that it came out on VHS. So it must have been 2002. And we were in Michigan. And at that point, I was nine. And I had cousins that were about uh, 13 at the oldest. A lot of them were around our time of age. But this is a movie that, like... It was one of the first movies that crossed the kind of like adult movie down to kid threshold for my family. And if I have a memory of the first uh, 20, like the first 20 minutes of Oceans 12, it's um, Elliot Gould saying, you're out of your goddamn mind in the first Oceans movie. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Because I thought it was really cool that a movie could say goddamn at that point. And so I fell in love with Oceans 11. I loved it. I got it on DVD for Christmas and I also got it on DVD with Oceans 12. And I don't remember what, like, I remember the cultural conversation around Ocean's 12, like, not just quite getting it at the time, um, particularly some of things in this movie that I think are genius now. I remember watching as a kid and convincing myself that they weren't good because critics that I liked didn't think they were good. And I didn't think about this movie for years until all the Ocean's movies were on Netflix and I rewatched them again. And I'm like, wait a minute, Ocean's 12 is really fucking cool and fun. <laughs> and then it, I, I, this must have been 2017, 2018, and this is when, like, the kind of Sonny Dion Jr. of it all came, came together. <laughs> uh, Noe? Yeah. But that's my, that's me with Oceans 12. Uh, Noe, what do you, what's your connection? How do you, how do you bring the oceans into your life? So, believe it or not, I am actually very new to the Oceans franchise. I'm actually pulling hey. up my phone right now to look at when I watched oceans 11 for the first time according to letterbox.com the first time i watched oceans 11 or any oceans movie there on out june of 2019 that was the first time wow. that i ever oh, watched shit, really an oceans wow. movie, and that was oceans 11 
Uh, and for some reason, it feels much sooner than that. Uh, but yeah, according to the to the Bible, which is of course Letterbox.com, uh, <laughs> the first time I ever watched an Ocean's movie was June twenty second of twenty nineteen. I was still living in Orange County at the time. I hadn't quite moved up to LA yet. This is one of the last movies then that I would have watched in that apartment because I moved less than a month later up to LA to start, you know, the next part of my life. And now I'm in Portland, <laughs> but um, uh, I'm very new to the Ocean's franchise. I thought my dad really likes Ocean's Eleven. It's one of his like go-to movies. I had just never seen it. I just had never gotten around to it. And I watched Ocean's Eleven. And during quarantine, the pandemic, whatever you want to call it, I watched Ocean's Twelve for the first time. Uh, for some reason, right now, Ocean's Eleven is the only Ocean's that's not on Netflix. It's on HBO Max. For some reason, mm. so there must be some it's more valuable property. I yeah, guess, yeah, I guess so. Must yeah. be some weird rights issue there. But I was hoping that I could just you know throw them all up. But I did. I throw them all up. Haha. Uh, I just said throw up on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, I I rewatched Ocean's Eleven for this just to kind of get my bearings with it. They're not like a super like huge franchise for me. And I remember thinking that the first time I watched Ocean's Twelve, eh, it was okay. You know, it was it was fine. Uh, I didn't like it as much as Ocean's Eleven, but I thought it was still okay. And I'm very sad to report that I watched it again for this podcast. I don't like this movie, you guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're doomed to do this. We're this is a classico. It's on the list. Classico. Yeah, this is Noah back on his uh, back on his bullshit mode of trying to finish the Sopranos before the end of the month uh, <laughs> mindset, uh, which will not happen. But uh, I didn't like this one. <laughs> I thought that you know maybe I would just ride sort of the energy of it. Uh, it just didn't really work for me. Uh, I don't know. We'll get into it more, but I do think it's important when you're talking about the Oceans franchise to talk about the man literally behind the camera, and that is Steven Soderbergh. Mm -hmm. And I want to sort of paint the picture for those of you who might be listening and don't know really what happened pre this, pre the Oceans franchise for Steven Soderbergh. So can I get Noah's story time corner here real quick, Mason? Let's do it. Noah's story time (laughs) corner. Thank you, chefs. So you're welcome. Mr. Soderbergh makes this movie in 1989 called sex lies and videotapes it's his debut feature he's like 26 27 28 years old somewhere in there pretty crazy and he wins the palm d'or at Cannes film festival and i think he wins best director as well i don't have that information in front of me but he's off to a really fucking hot start i personally think that sex lies and videotapes is his best movie that I've seen. At least he's got a shit ton of movies out there. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen them all, but I think that that might be my favorite of his along with another very underrated film, which actually would be an interesting movie to talk about on here. King of the Hill. Have either of you seen King of the Hill, the Soderbergh film? Yeah. Not since college, but I love that movie. It's awesome. I've never seen it's it. It's really, never really seen good. It. Great coming of age movie. Very underrated, a very good child performance from one and only Jesse Bradford, who I think is an underrated actor. Uh, so he does the sex lines and videotapes gets great, uh, you know, applause, whatever accolades from can his career after that little Rocky don't really think that he makes his money back on pretty much any movie that he does up until 1998. And he's kind of looking on the outs. It's like, Oh, what happened to this guy? Steven Soderbergh. He fucking fell off the map. He's, he's a, he's like kind of a shell of who he used to be back in the 1980s. 
But then he gets the opportunity to make an adaptation of an Elmore Leonard novel for the movie Out of Sight. Out of Sight mm-hmm. kind of puts him back into the mainstream. You've got Clooney. You've got Jennifer Lopez. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know anything much else about it. Oh, my God. You haven't seen dude, Out of Sight? No, I haven't seen dude, Out of Sight. Out of Sight rocks. Okay, I'll fucking no, watch it. Out of Sight rocks. Okay. So I'm not good. done. So then <laughs> he makes this movie. Things are going okay. He's kind of picking up some positive momentum. Then, I don't think it is an oversimplification to say, as if you just look at an awards season, Steven Soderbergh had one of the most amazing Oscars. Not in terms of Oscar wins, but just in mm-hmm. terms of what kind of company he was in in 2001 Oscars. Mm-hmm. He was nominated for Best Director for two movies that year, one of which won Best Picture. The only other director to do that happened in 1938 do either of you know who that director was wait so director nominated for two movies for best director two movies that they directed were nominated for best director it didn't it only has happened in 2001 for uh for steven soderbergh for traffic and aaron brockovich and it hadn't Uh, happened before that until 1938 does anybody know who it is i have it in front of me i feel like i knew this at one point in time is it uh it's not capra it is not capra who is it? It's Michael Curtis. Michael Curtis. Oh, fuck. Oh, it's a really close mm, with okay. Capra, though, and he was nominated for Four Daughters and Angels with Dirty Faces. Those were the two movies that he was nominated mm. for for Best Director. Steven Soderbergh is nominated for Best Director for both, like I said, Aaron Brockovich and Traffic. Traffic, Traffic. wins Best Picture. Basically, has he can do whatever he wants. He's back on top. He's the king of Hollywood. So what does he do? He remakes Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven originally had come yeah. out with the Brat Pack. Now he's basically remaking the Brat Pack. All the stars want to be in this movie. Ocean's Eleven has one of the most star-studded casts you could ask for. Literally putting George Cl- George I almost said George Clit in there. I'm really sorry for that. Uh, <laughs> George Clit. Yeah, yeah, he puts George Clooney and Brad Pitt next to each other, which you know, two of the biggest movie stars of all time. Makes Ocean's Eleven huge success, fun movie. Comes back and makes Ocean's Twelve. Here we are. I just think it's important to frame it as that. This is the kind of career that this guy has had up until Ocean's 12. So it is mind-boggling to me that he does what he does with Ocean's 12 because it is so weird. It's so weird. He he uses the studio's money is what he does in this movie. It's exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. So Well, I mean, you guys know, like... uh, the, the studio, no one asked for Ocean's 12. Uh, Ocean, the screenplay for Ocean's 12 was originally based, I can't remember the writer of this movie, it's driving me crazy, um, but it was originally a spec script about two warring thieves. Yep, I got the fact and right it came here. Across some, from right for you. There it's you go. George Nolfi, who wrote a treatment for Honor Among Thieves. Exactly. He's on the commentary track of this Blu-ray, and it's a it's a great listen. If anyone likes this movie, I, I would recommend watching that. Um, actually, Soderbergh has a thing on this, and, and I think this is true. I think it's not true for not only this movie, but a lot of movies, where Soderbergh says, if you don't like this movie, you just haven't watched it enough. <laughs> and I think that, that is a big flex to go ahead and say that, but I also think it's super, super true. Because when I saw Ocean's Twelve the first time, I was like, "Oh, it's not Ocean's Eleven, but it's on cable all the time." And I kind of started seeing things in it where I was like, "Oh, wait, this is what Ocean's Eleven would do if like mommy and daddy were on a date and I didn't have a babysitter." (laughs) 
<laughs> like this yeah. is what Ocean's Eleven should have been. Wow. Okay. I want to hear more on that, but uh, Mason, any, anything, <laughs> anything to add? Uh, anything that I said or what Sonny just said? <laughs> no, I think that this is like it's insane to me that this movie was greenlit and given eighty million dollars, and then came out and was this weird. And still ended up making like $350 million at the box office. Like it was a certified hit, this movie, that's yeah. like really weird and experimental um, and never really makes, I think, a conventional choice in just kind of on any, on any level. level. On any yeah. level. And that the fact that there was still a worldwide audience that was like, yeah, we can definitely vibe with this, I think is really interesting. And it sort of sets the um, course. Talk about a bygone era where, like, you literally could have a movie that is this weird. It's an installation in a an IP that isn't, like, universally beloved, but yeah. it opens because there are movie stars exactly. in it. I couldn't tell you one fucking person that's working right now, not one goddamn movie star that could open a movie to $300 million just on their name alone. There's no, yeah. there's no one. There's no think, way. No one and cares. I think that that has a lot to do. And I think actually Anthony Mackie has a great little soundbite about this where he says that the movie landscape, he's talking about present day. The movie landscape has changed now where people don't go to the movies to see movie stars like Brad Pitt and George yeah. Clooney. Their new movie stars are Thor and Iron Man and Batman. Yep. Those are the new movie mm-hmm. stars. It's characters. It's it problems. doesn't matter who's playing them. Any Anyone who does that, you're good to go. You you, you open a movie based on IP. It's, it's fucking insane. It is. And it's a, it's a business thing, obviously. You know, that's not a artistic endeavor, you know, in any way. You can make those yeah. movies artistically interest, interesting. But I think what's also interesting about getting back to Oceans here is that Soderbergh doing this doing all these choices, which we will talk about. I'm going to be very quiet during this because the truth is I don't really have a lot to say about this movie. I really just want to hear you guys talk about uh, why. I feel bad. No, 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 no. Please don't feel bad. Please don't feel bad. I just don't like it that much. But I want to hear what you got, why you guys like it. But I'll, I want to say before you guys sort of go off on this is that him doing this, Soderbergh, him making the choices that he makes in this movie, and it, like you guys said, making $350 million, you know, or whatever sets the course for the rest of his career because this man has not stopped doing funky-ass shit. He hasn't stopped. Oh, yeah. He has gotten yeah. only crazier. Wait a minute. So another Sonny Dion favorite, I think, comes in between Ocean's Eleven and Twelve, which we have... Oh, like... Which is fucking, fucking Solaris, which I think is another Solaris, thing that we got. Baby. It's like he did two... He did two remakes back-to-back. One was like... I'm going to remake this Brat Pack movie from my childhood that only of the dedicated... Do you keep saying Brat Pack... Yeah. Rat Pack. I'm sorry. I said, I said Rat Pack. Yeah. Rat Pack. I'm sorry. Yeah, Rat Pack. Yes. <laughs> Mea culpa. Uh, he's like, I'm going to make uh, this Rat Pack, remake this Rat Pack movie with like, you know, Don Cheadle, Carl Reiner, uh, Casey Affleck, <laughs> Scott Kahn, yeah. Elliot Gould, Brad Pitt, George Clooney. What's the name Anthony of the guy Garcia. with the glasses? What is Eddie Ju- Ju- Jemison as uh, Snively oh, Snivel? Yes. Yeah. yeah, can't forget Bernie Mac. R.I.P. Oh, King Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac is fire in these movies. I will say, Bernie Mac is really good, and he's just he remakes that and says, yeah. "Okay, you know what I'm gonna do next?" And everyone's 
on bated breath, waiting to see what old Stevie's got for us next. Let's go. I'm going to remake Andre Tarkovsky's Solaris. <laughs> Fucking everyone's like, so good. <laughs> what a move. So good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't want this to turn into a Solaris podcast. But <laughs> no, I it's going to be the next time you're on. <laughs> yeah. The, the, and I, I think it's the same thing with Ocean's Eleven. Is Soderbergh's like one of the great, like easy kind of, if you're looking at what a director does, it's so rare to, to look at material and be like, it's directed by one person. This is what comes out of it. It's directed by this person. It's what, this is what comes out of it. The yeah. difference is what directors do. Yeah. Uh, the Solaris adaptation is much more Soderbergh's reading of the Stanislaw Lem source material than trying to do anything that Tarkovsky did. I think he's like, I see this story. I want to do the highest stakes version for me, which is uh, uh, your wife is resurrected in space. How does that affect your life now? Instead of all the kind of philosophical underpinnings of what Tarkovsky was doing in Solaris. And I like, I like Tarkovsky Solaris a lot. But I love. Here's the thing. Have you ever heard the Les Blank movie? Uh, God respects us when he work when, when we work, but he loves us when we dance. Never seen it, but I know I've, I know the title. Yeah. God respects us when we Solaris, but he loves us when we Solaris. <laughs> oh my goodness! And, and, <laughs> oh my god! It's the Soderbergh Solaris yeah. that he loves us for. That's like the the better. It's just the more empathetic version, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I've not seen the Soderbergh. I actually haven't seen the Tarkovsky Solaris either. I'm a little bit, he's a little bit of a blind spot for me. Obviously I've seen Stalker. It was the first ever fucking episode of this podcast, but, uh, so I wouldn't call Tarkovsky empathetic by any stretch of the imagination. No, not at all. So rooted in in his ideas and philosophies and like ideal ideologies. And so, you know, it's all about that cup of tea, whatever, whatever kind of strokes your, whatever strokes your boat, so to speak. Um, but I'm going to take a back seat. I've been talking a lot. Can you guys just go off about what you like about this movie and I'll just be quiet for a little bit? <laughs> oh boy, I don't, where to start? Where to I don't start? Where to start? <laughs> it's 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 the I think I don't know. I this is what I want a cool movie to be. Like when people yeah. describe movies as cool, this is it. I think. This yeah. is like the one of the coolest if not the coolest movie to me. For sure. Um I think that it's also, uh, <laughs> I love that Brad Pitt is 40 in this. I was watching this and checking the na- the ages of all of the gas of all the stars. And this is like, this is like in shaved head bread, which is big for me currently being a shaved head <laughs> boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, seriously, I like just how, you know, when I think about this movie, I think a lot about, I think it's a Matt Singer piece about how this is a movie about how difficult it is to make a sequel. A sequel about how difficult yeah. it is to make a sequel. And to your point about Soderbergh being the guy, like, what does a director do? Uh, he has such just, like, a facility of just the craft of filmmaking, I think, that it shines yeah. through in his work. And part of the craft isn't being just so like nasal gate navel gazy and just like purely doing experiment for experimentation. It's like I have an 80 million studio budget and access to every star alive. Basically, what can I do and how much fun can I have? And that's what this movie is to me. hundred percent. I completely agree. Yeah. He's like our Godard or something. I, I, I think yeah. There's like two narratives about his career. One of which is, I think what we were getting at earlier, which is he does, I mean, the classic, it's like almost trite to say now, the one for them, one for me thing, 
Yeah. You know, Ocean's Eleven is for them. Solaris is for me. Ocean's Twelve is for me. Aaron Brockovich is for them. You, like, yeah, he yeah. kind of he gets his next paycheck by doing a successful genre movie or a prestige movie and just kind of gets it out of the way. And then pretty much always in his career has been doing that. And it's not always one-to-one, but you can see it even recently. Logan Lucky, which I think is a mm-hmm. great movie. I he love did, Logan Lucky. I think clearly for them. Right. And then he goes on a weird run. He goes Unsane and High Flying Bird. <laughs> and then he goes and does, uh, what's it called? The Laundromat for Netflix. The, yeah. And, then and he'll, he'll like kill alter between these things. He had that, he had that, that HBO I, show that was also an app. Do you remember that mosaic yeah mosaic, mosaic. yeah yeah sharon stone he's like has the most access to sharon stone for some reason which like isn't there an oscar for that like how do we not <laughs> have an oscar for whoever used sharon stone the most that just seems obvious to me but i think his other thing is he he's always had a really european sensibility and i don't quite feel like he got to ramp it up as much as he did until until oceans 12 and oceans 12 he went full on he got to do like a riff on fuck i don't know a big deal on madonna street top copy um all those kinds of movies you know like these like slick cool gangster italian movies which he was kind of doing in oceans 11 Mm -hmm. vaguely or i mean mostly through the zoom lens and then he goes like i'm gonna use my zoom lens i'm gonna get a bunch of movie stars i'm gonna make the heist happen off screen i'm gonna make everyone an idiot and I'm going to do all kinds of crazy cutting and I'm going to use Ornella Vanoni on the soundtrack. And I'm going to go from then, fucking now, black and white to color, like in a split second at the end, I'm going to turn the camera great. on its side yeah. in the train. I'm going to, oh. you know, I'm going to let, there's a scene in this movie and it's like, I don't remember exactly when it happens in the movie, but I am convinced that he just pointed the camera at Elliot Gould and Scott Kahn, let them do three takes and just decided which one was the best. It's the scene where they're waiting for the bathroom and Elliot Gould. <laughs> How would you like it if someone's knocking on the door when you Yes, that yeah. scene. And he's like, what if I just take a fucking shit on your shoes right here? And Scott Tan, yeah. Scott Kahn just turns and starts laughing. And I'm like, who the fuck would just leave that? In a movie, you know, no one is really going to leave that in the movie except for Soderbergh because he is literally getting his blank check here. I mean, I know it's silly to say, but this kind of is his blank check movie. I feel like in a lot of ways he continues to have weird ass blank check movies throughout his career, like bubble and the girlfriend experience, even unsane to a certain degree is a sort of blank check idea of a movie. And I have a feeling if the iPhone was out during this time, we would be seeing a lot of iPhone footage in oceans 12. Mm-hmm. Particularly that that one shot you were talking about, where it switches from from black and white to color. Yes. It's like a super super wide lens, and they're doing it on thirty five millimeters. They don't have a choice or whatever. But it looks like he's like, it's not quite handheld. It looks almost like they strapped a handle to the top of the camera yeah. and and balanced it with the bottom of their hand. And they're kind of doing something like that. Yeah. That that shot, I guarantee, I I won't lose any sleep about saying this on your guys' show is. That, that would have been shot on an iPhone. That's him doing the dry yeah. run for iPhone photography right yeah. there, just with a, a bigger camera. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The bi- the big silence. The great silence the about Ocean's Twelve. Um, I have that's uh, what I really admire about Soderbergh is just his his technical playfulness and playing with like aspect ratios and color, kind of timing and temperature and and cutting. How he cut the entire um the 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 oh, fuck the Matthew Cassell character. Um, we Vincent talking Cassell, about Lamar my friend. Ca- Vincent Cassell, Jesus fucking Christ. I don't <laughs> and he uh, is talking about when uh, Lamarck scorned him, said Danny Ocean was the best thief in the world, and Lamarck said nothing. The way that that is cut... Well, Lamarck doesn't... It was the loud, annoying businessman, which is a great cameo Jerry Weintraub, who produces the movie. <laughs> so it's almost like Soderbergh is teasing his friend. He's like the very loud, annoying American businessman. And then you see Jerry Weintraub <laughs> on this boat spouting his mouth off, the fucking producer of the movie. Like, you guarantee, it's like, hey, Jerry, want to do a little part in this? You'll just be a businessman. And then he does one little scene where someone calls him loud and annoying and <laughs> specifies that he's American. Like, that's another testament to how playful I think he is. I got... That, no, 100%. I got a, I got a couple little, uh, little quotes here. Uh, about this movie. I guess not really. One's a quote from the legendary Roger Ebert, and one is just a factoid to show you sort of, I guess, not to not to make my point here, but just to say this is a divisive film. This was a divisive film yeah, for when sure. it came out. You know, this had literally, mm-hmm. if you look up what the, you know, score of this movie is, it got, quote unquote, mixed reviews. This is a movie, I think, mm-hmm. that you pop it on and you either are in love with it or you're not. Because Entertainment Weekly... I don't know when this issue came out. It was ranked among the 25 worst sequels ever made. Shameful pitch. Awful. You know what? Entertainment Weekly <laughs> also said that Hot Shell Ray's Tonight Tonight was better than the Smashing Pumpkins Tonight Tonight. So we just can completely <laughs> discard them as a as a serious critical outlet right now. Well, speaking with, of just with serious critical outlets, then Ebert comes in and says this. This is his little quote about the movie. The movie takes inventory of its characters with the same droll wit it does everything else, ellipses. The movie is all about behavior, dialogue, star power, and wise-ass in-jokes. I really sort of liked it. <laughs> Raj. <laughs> How about that? Two sides of the same coin. Class there. act. Class act. Class act, Raj. <laughs> I was just, Good for you, Raj. I was just listening. Someone sent me the Vincent Gallo, Howard Stern interview. Have you guys ever oh, watched that? Oh, yeah. Yes, it's great. It's awful. It is fucking cringe-inducing, and they actually call up Roger Ebert himself to talk to Vincent Gallo live on air after Vincent Gallo wishes cancer on Roger Ebert, and he forces them to talk to each other, and it is brutal. I yeah. uh, They did a follow-up to that, and it's a little little better, but Vincent Gallo's not like... He still he thinks it's kind of funny that he said that he hopes Eber gets cancer and now he has cancer and I'm like oh, come on man tough beat for for Vince yeah Vincent Gallo's <laughs> a little bit of a fucker made a great movie in uh, Buffalo sixty six but a little bit of a fucker a little there. bit of a fucker um, the the yeah I think that it, like you guys are saying there's a certain energy to this movie there's a certain uh, clip at which it moves at and if you're on board with that you're going to have an amazing time because I can't understand why someone would watch this. Like you guys are saying and think this is the coolest movie in the world. This is a heist movie overseas. We're in Amsterdam. We're in 
Paris, right? That's sort of the the second locale. Whereas that the word the three locales are Amsterdam, Paris, and what's the third one? I can't remember off the top of my head. Well, it's it's the U.S., Amsterdam, and Rome. I don't think they ever oh, go. Oh, they not go to Paris. Okay, I was getting. Or well, actually, no, that's not quite true because it's that's the little trick at the end is when they're at the train station and you believe them to be going to Rome, they're actually going to Paris. Right. And the idea is that they're going to Paris to meet with Lamarck. I guess Lamarck bails them out of the trouble with Talur. Right. Yes. I think that's a big problem with, I mean, a problem with the enjoyment of the movie by the masses or whatever is that the plot is really confusing. The plot is really confusing. It's funny that we're actually doing this. Like, oh, my last episode was Inherent Vice. Pretty much the same reason I love Inherent Vice is the same reason I love Ocean's 12. It's like any movie with a lot of plot, I start to check out in because I just kind of don't care. They're all the same thing. You got to fucking steal a fabric egg. I don't really give a shit. This movie makes it intentionally opaque so that at a certain point as a viewer, you have to go, I don't care anymore. I'm just yeah. going to laugh when they want me to laugh. I'm going to be, you know, moved when they want me to move when she's seeing his dad or whatever and, and all that stuff. And it, it doesn't matter exactly how the heist goes down, which even after having seen it however many times, I'm not exactly 100% down on. If we, we could break into that and talk into it, but... I think it's the least interesting part of this movie is the plot. And no, that's not and that's the case what, for 11 and 13. No, I think that's what's, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Cause the, the fun in 11 is how clever the heist exactly. is and how clever yeah. and watching them pull that off here. It's really just like kind of a hangout movie. And then it's, a couple I was heists. just about to say that. Yeah. Great way. Yeah. Totally. It's just, it's really is just like most of this movie is them is the kind of conflict in this movie and the drama comes because they like most of the movies I'm splitting the team apart. And the joke is you don't really see them work together, but then you realize that you just skip the movie skipped over that at the end that yeah. like them yeah. doing the big heist. Um, and yeah, there's this, there's the, the tour part. There's this whole like kind of thing with, we didn't even bring up Catherine Zeta Jones yet. And she's kind of the, who, the book oh ends, my this, God, who rocks here. Uh, is very yeah. pretty. Plays uh, Brad Pitt's uh, Europol uh, girlfriend, who's like a uh, an like a, a detective with the uh, Interpol, basically that finds like art thieves. She gets mixed up in it somehow. She has a uh, she wears a lot of the color red, and she looks very very sexy. Can I? Uh, can I? She's always wearing like leather latex trench coats, which yeah. is so absurd. <laughs> But like you just buy it because I, or I guess you yeah. buy it or you don't based on how well you're responding to the movie. No, definitely. And I love that there's like a weird, like kind of also, like you were saying, like it's these sixties Italian or like European gangster films. And it's a movie that has like two guys in uh trench coats and, and uh, fedoras show up as like cops. And you're like, you just kind of buy it. You know, at that point yeah. in the movie, you're like, yeah, that's how cops dress in Amsterdam still. <laughs> Trench coats right. and fedoras. Can we uh, yeah. briefly talk about just an absolutely insane thing in this movie, which is Tess's involvement toward the latter part oh, of the film. Oh, boy. Coined, can we? <laughs> coined yes, by them, we the looky-loo. Shut <laughs> the looky loo. Looky, well, it's technically a looky loo with a bundle. You're of right. Joy. It is technically a looky loo with a bundle. Of joy. That is the part that everyone always <laughs> yeah, gets. Don't, get it fucking straight, Noah. It's a looky loo with a fucking bundle of joy. Don't embarrass me in front of my fucking friends again. Fuck, dude, <laughs> no, I'm fucking just sorry. Crazy. Holy shit. <laughs> but uh, when the first time I saw this movie, 
And what is revealed, I'm going to let Sonny obviously reveal sort of like the fun little uh, treat that goes along with that since he's our guest. The first time that I saw them pull off what they pull off uh, with what they pull off, if I could be any more cryptic, uh, I pretty much did a big old chart right then and there because I was like, are they real? Is this really happening? Am I actually watching this happen? And it does. It goes down and they're really doing it. Uh, Sonny, can you talk a little bit about for the viewers? And spoiler alert, if you yeah. can really even say that for Ocean's 12. But can you talk to us about if the If you Luke-y stay Luke? this long and you haven't seen Ocean's 12, just turn it off now and go watch it. Do yourself a favor and then watch it again. And then watch it again. Watch it nine and then times. watch it with the director's commentary. Watch it until you then, love it. <laughs> you, which will be the first time. It's so good. But <laughs> uh, Tess, played by the popular actor Julia Roberts. Yeah portrays Julia Roberts That's it. in the film. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the best part about that too, is they keep teasing at it. Like she kind of looks like Julia Roberts. Everyone cuts them off. And there's the great line for Brad Pitt where he's like, it's not my nature to be mysterious, yeah. but I can't talk about it. And I can't talk about why it's yeah. so <laughs> fucking funny. Even in that line, it's like a folded joke. And then the way they deliver that they're actually going there is in Italian. Yes. It's just the concierge turns and he's like, Travis or Julia Roberts. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, fuck. That's what they're doing. They did that. Julia Roberts is going to be in this movie. And it's Julia Roberts being Taz, being Julia Roberts. We're just doing that for the next 15 minutes. And his, like. I love this shit. When when movies do this, where it's. These are the implications now. Is when Julia Roberts is in the movie, now we realize that within the world of the Oceans trilogy, Julia Roberts exists. Yes which makes you think that maybe George Clooney exists, but no one has noticed that Danny Ocean looks just like him. Sure. Yeah. Brad Pitt might exist. Bruce Willis exists in the Oceans trilogy. It's like in Lord of the Rings where they say meat's back on the menu. Orcs have restaurants. <laughs> we understand that now to be true. Orcs have menus. They have restaurants. Julia Roberts is in this movie. What are the implications for the rest of this now? It's fucking great. And I love thinking about movies while I'm in a movie. That like into it's just such a yes. delicious treat. I oh my god, I, I love it. It's uh, it's one of my favorite uh, bits in a movie. It's incredible. It's a it's, twist. It's yeah. Tremendous. It's a tremendous flex to try and pull off. And you know what? I think they accomplish it. Um, it's so in like all the little side bits where like Matt Damon's character is telling Bruce Willis that he guessed the ending of Sixth Sense, but they never six they never say Sixth Sense. Yeah, they just go, oh, as soon as you were having dinner with her and she didn't talk to you, I, I think I guessed the ending. And he it's like so turns her and says, "That's night." Yeah, is like a <laughs> everyone's so smart. How come it made six hundred seventy five million worldwide or something like that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's. I think it's really clever. I know it was really like kind of eye roll inducing and like kind of groan inducing like at the time, but I think that that's just like, it's, it's just, it's, it's so creative and it's just like kind of a tribute also to a sort of anarchic spirit that it's like, we're going to make, uh, we are going to invite this entire other level into this movie. And it's another thing where you're just like, got to ride along with it or you can't. Uh, and I love how good, Julia Roberts is at playing Tess being bad at being Julia Roberts. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so it's I such mean, that's a great be like, like it's like it's a like thing face that off it reminds, or something. A thing that it reminds me of is in the movie American Splendor, where fake Harvey goes to see the play. Oh, put sure, on, sure, like, sure, and sees the other fake Harvey. 
Uh, and you know, Harvey Pekar is actually in that movie. So that's a very good um, comparison. I like that. I like that Mason. But it's it's interesting. I like watching actors play bad actors, and then you're adding the extra challenge of Julie Roberts has to be playing herself, but through the prism of this awful performance of Julia Roberts. I don't know. It's it's like you're saying, Sonny, it invites a lot of questions and it's uh, not a lot of movies do that and also are fun to watch. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's really just what my thing is with this movie is like, I think you're right. You will fall in love with this, this movie very quickly and know it more or less if it's your thing or not. Um, but it's just, I would it's, say it's the same rule with like watching inherent vice, which is, don't get too caught up in what is happening moment to moment. Just let yourself laugh at everything oh my that's God. funny, so which is watched... everything. Like every yeah. scene is funny. No, we put that movie on in the front yard a couple weeks ago uh, as like a projector movie. And that was a big hit. It was one of the most fun I've ever had. Just, just watching that movie was with like those people. And everyone was like laughing at the right moments. And it was the first time that I'm like, yeah, this is just like. I get this movie now. Like I get inherent. Yeah. It took me six or seven times to get there. And Noah's going to hate me for saying that, <laughs> but it's like, you know, there are, um, like with this oceans movie, it, it, it is like, there's a sincerity and there's a heart here. And it just, it's just, I love its spirit so much. And it reminds me with my buddy, yeah. Sonny also <laughs> deeply. So that's another reason why I like it. Oh, I love it. Um, is there anything else anybody really wants to say? Cause I actually have some fast facts. For everybody, I know that's a Noah's fast fact. Thank you, Mason. I know I know that's a favorite segment on this show, and everybody's always begging me, keep doing the fast facts. We love it when you do the fast facts, Noah. So I had to. You... I legitimately, I love the fast facts. I think this is great. They're very helpful. Good. Well, I yeah. got some for you right here. Ready, folks? Let's do it. Matt Damon requested just prior to the beginning of the production that the script be revised so his character would have a smaller role in the story. Damon had just finished shooting the board supremacy and claimed he was too exhausted to play a character that had a major role in the movie. Soderbergh denied That's Damon's so request, claiming that he felt Damon's character was integral to the plot and that giving Damon less screen time would diminish the character's impact on the plot. Damon's character Linus asked to be a more integral part of the story in the movie Ocean's 12. Yes. Hell yeah, baby. <laughs> that's it. the way that's you do it. That's great. what you do. Yeah. That's what you do. So that's fast fact number one. Uh, fast fact number two, George Clooney was, does anyone want to guess how old George Clooney actually was at the time of filming when they are guessing his age? Uh, I looked he looks 50 up. from the neck up. Yes, from the neck up. <laughs> exactly. How old does he look from the neck up? Uh, I looked this up, so I don't know if I should, okay. I should answer. Then don't. But Sonny, I do know. any idea? Yeah. <sighs> 44? I have Damn, no idea. you're close. You're really, really close. close. Yeah. Mason, what's the answer? He's 42, right? He's 42 years old. You were fucking oh. close, though, Sonny. Damn. Yeah. Uh, Wait, so in, you guys said Pitt was 40 in it? He's only two years younger than Pitt. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So that's that. He was actually 42. There's a scene in the movie, if you, for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie yet, uh, where they're asking him, how old do you think I look? And he's there, you know, Casey Affleck is like, I don't know, 50, but he's actually 42 years old at the time of filming the scene. So that's a fun little ha ha. Uh, this one is crazy. This one is fucking insane. This is fast fact number three. Uh, if you're keeping tabs at home, uh, let's play some baseball before, <laughs> before <laughs> filming began. Brad Pitt put a memo to all crew members stating that they only address George Clooney as his character's name, Danny Ocean, or Mr. Ocean. Eventually, uh, Clooney 
Whoa, I just, I'm sorry, I had a fucking out-of-body moment there. I don't know what just happened. Uh, Eventually, Clooney found (laughs) out about this and got back at Pitt by putting bumper stickers on the back of his car that read, uh, I don't know about this, I'm gay and I vote, and small penis on board. Those are the two bumper stickers that uh, that, that he got back at him with, which is just, that's just some friends having fun. I love that. I that's heard there's guys a lot of printing dudes. on the movie. Apparently there's one scene it's at the train station and it's, uh, I, it might not even be in the final cut, but Brad Pitt picks up a duffel bag and walks away with it. And Pitt had put a bunch of stones in there and oh, bricks. That's awesome. And so they're doing a scene and Brad Pitt goes to pick it up. and goes, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love when I love when uh, celebrities are cool. <laughs> That's what I love. Yeah, uh, they're human beings. Like exactly. Us. I love when they're relatable. Uh, hashtag oh, relatable celeb. Uh, number four. This is also crazy. Ricky Gervais turned down the role of Basher's engineer. He said, "Why say a couple oh, of Eddie lines?" Uh, yes, Eddie Izzard's role. He said, "Why yeah. say a couple hmm. lines opposite Brad Pitt when I could be playing a lead back home?" That was Ricky Gervais's quote about it. Really, really well in two thousand four, probably. Well, he was what that David was like, Brent. That was like what he was most. He was known still for. David Brent. It, yeah, they, he was still the Office. He was still on the Office then, but it was like oh, good fuck Ricky Gervais. Put yeah, me on the record right now. Fuck him. Time, I'm glad fuck Eddie Ricky Izzard Gervais. Did. He's so much uh, anyway. Eddie Izzard rocks. Have you seen Eddie Izzard in this movie? Uh, yes, we. Have you also see Jared Harris in this movie? I forgot that Jared. Oh, Harris was great. The, Great, yes. No, I think that that's the uh, guy that Ricky Gervais was supposed to play, and I'm way happier that it's just, it was Jared Harris and not um, uh, Gervais because Jared Harris is so fucking funny in this. I love Jared. But he Harris. said he had to do lines against Brad Pitt. He said, "Why say a couple sure of lines part? opposite Brad Pitt when I could be playing?" Only oh, back never home? mind. Yeah, I so thought you said Basher's engineer. engineer. It, I did say Basher's engineer. And Basher's oh, engineer right. Is Jared that Harris. would be. That would be the maybe, maybe I don't maybe know. Gervais was just being flippant. maybe Ricky Gervais didn't know wh- who his <laughs> character was supposed to be. Maybe Ricky Gervais didn't read the script that it was given to him. How about that? How about you know that? What? I'm glad everything bad that happens to Ricky Gervais is right because of this moment. <laughs> and I, I, that's right. Fast fact number five this is the second to last one. We already kind of touched on this. You did, Sonny, at least. The story of this film was taken from Honor Among Thieves, a screenplay treatment written by George Nolfi that was originally intended to be a John Woo vehicle. Uh, when Ooh, it was decided shit. that Ocean's Eleven was going to have a sequel, Warner Brothers asked Nolfi to rewrite the script, adjusting it for Ocean's Eleven's character. So think about that. A Ocean's 12-esque style movie, but John Woo instead of Steven, Steven Soderbergh. Much more birds, more birds in it. <laughs> it's the only, it's the only difference I can think of. More birds, yeah, more birds. Uh, maybe more <laughs> guns. That's the one I would say. Sure. Then the only other fast fact is I mentioned earlier that after he did Sex Lies and Videotape, basically for the next almost ten years, uh, he had some he had some trouble. Uh, Steven Soderbergh did at the box office. Here are the movies that happened between Sex Lies and Videotapes and Out of Sight. 1991, he did Kafka which is a biopic about oh, yeah. Franz Kafka. Has anyone seen Kafka? Not. Yeah, I haven't either. I have not seen Kafka. Uh, in 1983, he does King of the Hill, which Mason and I have both seen. Very good movie. Actually, would be a great movie Very for this good. show. Very uh, good. In 1996, excuse me, 1995, he does The Underneath. Don't know anything about that. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that, Sonny? I've not seen it. It's, it's on the special features of the King of the Hill uh, Criterion movie. Gotcha. Yeah. He, he's disowned the movie. Soderbergh, yeah. that's the only movie he's he's disowned. 
Um, although I've heard it looks great, but I, I've never seen it. I also have never seen it. That was a movie I got from the library once as a kid and never actually sat down and watched. But the, the, the DVD design did make it look like a very good-looking movie. But again, I yeah. just know it as it's through its reputation of um, Soderbergh completely disowning it. Then in 1996, he does Schizopolis and Grey's Anatomy. Schizopolis has... Now, I'm not seeing the whole thing, but it has such a fucking attitude. That movie has such a, like, punk rock attitude in, like, a, like, 90s, like, corporate culture way that I was, like, very yeah. on board until I just didn't give a shit anymore, which I feel like is, like, I, a big problem. Uh, I hate that fucking movie. I hate, I hate <laughs> Damn. it. Damn. Wow. I, it's okay. the only Soderbergh movie that I can't stand to watch. I hate that movie. Damn. Mason, have you seen Schizopolis or Grey's Anatomy? No, I haven't. Uh, I have not. So we can skip and move on to the next thing. It's, I'll say this, it's worth watching because it prominently features Soderbergh as an actor. Yes, and the only right, other right. movie I can think of, he does the voice of the of the dude that Gwyneth fucks in Contagion. But I don't know if he puts himself in movies very often other than that. I don't think he does. I, think mm-hmm. he's, I mean, he can't because he's shooting his movies, you know what I mean? Right, as yeah. Peter yeah. Andrews. Uh, but that was the last movie that he right. did uh, before Out of Sight. And then it is worth noting that right after Out of Sight and between Air, Out of Sight and Aaron Brockovich, he does The Limey, which I know is a movie that a lot of people really like. I haven't seen it. I love Limey. Love um, it. Love Limey it, came up it, last it. episode yeah. as being uh, one of Nina Kramer's least favorite movies, but uh, yes. I really like The really? Limey a lot. Yeah. yeah, she hates it for for some reason. I love that. Doesn't movie. know why. But yeah. Love it. Those are my fast facts. Uh, my Mercedes valuable player of uh, oceans 12 is probably like you said at the beginning, Sunny. that first 20 minutes. I think it's the most interesting fun part of the movie, at least for me. I love seeing what everyone's up to uh, post the oceans 11, you know, madness love seeing Eddie Jemison uh, at the new Orleans nightclub, just completely bombing dressed as the matador. Um, <laughs> Mom, mother <laughs> hey is this thing on uh, i love i love watching him in that uh love seeing what everybody's up to and how terry benedict just absolutely puts the fear of god into them uh before the actual plans start so that's my mercedes valuable player uh mason oh, yeah. do you have a mercedes valuable player for oceans 12 uh i think if you couldn't have told by my uh rambling earlier i think my mercedes valuable player for this movie is uh julia roberts solely for the Julia Roberts as Tess's Julia Roberts bit. Sure. Uh, I think that's a tremendous bit. It's a very, very funny scene. And I think that if she was not as committed to that and committed to that through the character of Tess, it would not be quite as successful as it is. It's a very fun sequence also. Um, one of the most uh, suspense, outwardly suspenseful parts of the movie. Agreed. And uh, I don't know. I like that part a lot. Sonny, what's your Mercedes valuable player for, for good old Ocean My Storm Mercedes here? most valuable player of the game is Topher Grace. Oh, damn. He nice. Hell yeah. Among the most, five, the most ecstatic five minutes in movie history. When they <laughs> show up to go to his thing. Everything about it, the fucked up hotel room, the long hair, the shirt that Paris Hilton famously wore that says, your boyfriend wants me. Yeah. <laughs> and then him talking about, I love her, man. I love her, but she's driving me crazy. And he talks about, you phoned in the Dennis Quaid movie, all that shit. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the, the coup de gras is him tearing off his beads and saying, it's almost like this Kabbalah crap doesn't even work. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so fucking good. And then Rusty gets the phone call. He's like, dude, don't go, don't leave. It's so fucking great. Like that's the thing for me. If you get five minutes in the movie and that doesn't work for you, 
just turn it off because you're not worthy. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Uh, also, shout out to them blowing up the at least the body of that classic car in that, which is like a big time. Like, oh my god! I don't. It must in have this, just be in the standard parking lot. In That's the standard, standard I also Hollywood love that rusty. Yeah, that uh, that rusty Ryan owns the standard. Yeah, in the Ocean's Twelve in the Ocean's yeah. universe, which is really fucking funny. Um, I remember, and now that I'm making the connection in my mind, it must have just been because it was in the Iraq War a lot. Uh, but a lot of exploding cars in movies at this time. Yes. A lot of big exploding, oh, yeah. a lot Siriana. of exploding cars. Syriana, yeah, another Clooney's movie. Uh, ex- exploding car in the trailer. Dude, there's even yeah. an exploding car in <laughs> No uh, Country for Old Men. In Michael Clayton. Yeah, good call. Uh, Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is like Clooney. There's something a lot about of Clooney, Clooney movies. And exploding ass <laughs> cars. Uh, Mason. <laughs> Do you recommend this movie? I really do. This is a full recommend for me. I this is this is uh it's it, it's just a, a lot of fun. And you know what? There are two other Oceans movies that are more conventional if you want to call it. Um so if you like this crew but don't like this particular adventure, but I don't know. This is really like in terms of just like big sort of, you know, franchise filmmaking because this is it it is a franchise. The Oceans movies are franchises. This is one of the most interesting sort of franchise entries it probably is the greatest sequel of all time um <laughs> yeah i don't know i love this movie i love watching it and it was a treat to watch it again for the show uh sunny how do you feel about oceans i, I don't know i think skip this one guys <laughs> I, this shit. I think run run don't walk i love this movie don't think too much about it it's just funny just have fun and it's fun god damn it I don't recommend this movie. Uh, Sonny, thank you so much uh, for, for coming back uh, to the podcast. It's always a treat to talk to you. One of these days, we'll have to talk about a movie that we both like. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that's happening. We saw the track record of this show. But uh, again, thank you so much for being here. Do you have anything you want to plug before we say goodbye? Oh, man. No, I don't. Not yet. Maybe next time. We'll We'll talk. I'm working on something very super secret, and we can talk about it next time if you guys will have me back. Oh yeah, 100. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, Sonny Dion Jr. Everyone, uh, you can follow this show on Facebook. You can like us. Uh, it's on the list with Noah and Mason. You can follow us on Instagram. It's on underscore the list. You can follow us on Twitter. It's on the list pod. You can email the show if you want to email the show. Everybody wants to the number two. Get on the list. You can follow me. On uh, Instagram and Twitter as well, but I've said it so many times and I don't want to talk about it anymore. You can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, a podcast about people's favorite things. You can bring on anything they want, anything they want to talk about. I believe when this episode comes out, uh, the episode that you'll have to look forward to is I'm talking about Bo Burnham with Ash Harold, uh, writer, director, Ooh, actor. Cool. Uh, Love it. We're going to be looking at words 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 make happy and eighth grade and talking about sort of Bo's evolution as a young artist and uh the internet i guess so i haven't done the podcast as of this recording but that's something you have to look forward to if you're into Bo burnham or you just like supporting uh diy podcasters during this time uh you can also watch ylg on instagram ylg.world uh i think that's it mason bring us home uh follow me on instagram at hot dog letterboxed my other uh, podcast, The Barn, a podcast about the Shield. 
Uh, what else? I don't know. Uh, I'll probably have something here to plug, just community resource-wise. Uh, maybe put it at the beginning of the show like last week, but, uh, I don't know. Just kind of been, uh, uh, trying to keep it easy, keep it sleazy. Keep it breezy. Uh, that's just my, keep it breezy. I think I recommended the going on walks. Still will recommend that. It's, uh, it's a free activity. You can get out of the house, and, uh, you should, uh, do that and meet, meet pretty girls at their place. Uh, <laughs> It's really and scary. And, uh, <laughs> and negotiate, negotiate intimacy during a pandemic. Uh, interesting thing. You, uh, you walked to her apartment and you said, "Hey, listen, I walked here. You gotta give me a ride back. This is the only way this is gonna work out." Uh, but yeah, that's it. I don't know. Stay safe, everybody. We love you. I love you. I hope you are all good and well out there. Uh, Black lives matter. Black trans lives matter. Save the post office, abolish, defund the police, all of that good stuff that's worth fighting for. Stand up for the people in your neighborhood and in your life. And uh, at the end of the day, all we have is each other. That's it. That's the show. Thank you, everybody. Here, here. Well said. Bye. She's doing porn again. I wish I knew the time, how long we've been talking, so that I could put a note in my garage band for the timestamp on this recording here. But whatever. I would say go Dude. 17 minutes ahead okay. is what I would yeah, say. Yeah, because I think we started, yeah, like right th- three minutes after or so. Uh, yeah, that's what I would say. But uh, what we'll do is I'll give a countdown backwards from three. We'll both, we'll all hit record on our separate devices on one. Uh, on Zoom, right? You will hit oh, on record on your on your voice memo, and then I'll hit okay. record on GarageBand. Mason will hit record on GarageBand, but we're gonna go on one. So okay, cool. I'll count down, then on one we'll all hit record on our devices. I am going to sing a parody song. Uh, Mason and I will banter for a little second, and then when okay. it is appropriate, we will introduce you, and then we're off to the fucking okay. races, baby. Cool. I can't wait. Yeah, right, let's, let's do, do it. it. Mason, you good? I'm so ready. Okay, everybody, ready for the countdown? Let's do it. Three, two, one.